Welcome everyone to Plugged and Unplanned. It's Tony Nash, the CEO of Booktopia, back with you again. And would you believe I have another author in the studio? Well, not the studio, um, because of the world we live in today. We, we're online and we're, we're going via Zoom and recording this session. Gareth Jude is with me and he has a new book and I should get it out. In, I have it out in front of me. Retail Innovation Reframed, How to Transform Operations and Achieve Purpose-Led Growth and Resilience. And you have also authored that with Andrew Smith, um, who is not with us today. Congratulations and welcome to the show, Gareth. Thanks, Tony. It's good to be here. We've known each other for hmm, many years, 10 years or more, I would, I would suggest, when you were working at Telstra. Um, you've uh, it's you've, 10 years Tony. is it wow so um, yeah, yeah, yeah. time flies you you've you've had a good chance to uh in the roles that you've played in in business to to be witness to retail and it's interesting that you you took time out um i assume this is a well probably wasn't planned to be but it ended up being a pandemic book is that right yeah, yeah. So we wrote it. We wrote the first draft before the pandemic, um, but really, uh, then the pandemic came along. We had to rewrite it because it changed everything. Um, but I'll go into that maybe a bit later. How um, how the fundamentals stayed the same. There were some things we had to amend, but the fundamentals stayed the same. Wow, that's interesting because I think all of us who are in retail, me included, um, would love to cheat and tap into your your um phd of 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 you know ex exploration and research um what what did you discover what you know what are the interesting kind of um paradigms and and shifts and things you know we're all trying to work out what the next wave is coming through what what's your what, what does your wisdom and, and pondering uh, give us? Well, my pondering, Tony, is that more stays the same than changes in retail. You know, I got my first job in a retail store. You know what? It's nearly 50 years ago. Uh, when I was at school, I got a job in a hardware store, and a lot of the fundamentals of retail in those days are the same fundamentals today. What changes is context. Value is the thing that motivates shoppers. And I'm, my latest hobby horse is about that. You know, that every year or two, somebody wants to write about the new consumer. Uh, it's overblown. You know, consumers are consumers. If they see value, they'll, they'll find it like a heat-seeking missile. Um, and that applies in the 1970s when a new supermarket opened. You'd see queues around the block. Uh, to today, when customers in the US see Amazon Prime, same-day delivery versus FedEx three-day delivery, they switch. They know where value is. So uh, I think the idea of a new consumer is overblown. Um, the a consumer looks for value, but context change. And a few things in the context have changed over the last, over the last few years, especially in technology. Um, but, you know, talking about what I've learned and pondered on and why we decided to write this thing. Um, I, I've run retail stores, I've been an advisor, and then I've worked on the supply side too. And in my time at Telstra particularly, 
we were right in the thick of digital transformation. So the context of retail was changing. Digital was the big driver. And we saw a lot of companies attempting to innovate, new formats emerging. And what struck me first was most of this technology works. When innovation failed, it wasn't the technology. There was something else going on. And uh, when a new design came to the store, if the stores put a new design in their physical stores or they tried a new strategy, it wasn't the design or the strategy that was wrong. It was the process. Uh, so what, I th what the motivation for the book was to destroy and distill innovation in retail into a process so that whatever the context, however the world changes, retailers have something they're good at, which is process, to apply to make things change. So when, when one of the first things that comes up when you're in retail, which I, I am in, mm. um, is the idea of price and to be price driven. If you were to put a, you know, out of percentage out of a hundred, how much do you feel in terms of that value proposition is, is price play a part? Yeah, look, it depends on your target customer. So if you're at uh, Louis Vuitton or you're at Tiffany, price is actually the higher your price, as research shows this, the better your sales are. When Mercedes discounts the, uh, on a consistent basis, they lower the value of their product. So price depends on your target market. However, for most people, price is important. So um, if, and that's my supermarket example from the 1970s, or it's the Aldi example from today, if, uh, or as we all can see every day, it's the petrol, the petrol store example. If you see the same fuel uh, at $1.20, um, that you bought yesterday for $1.60 at another petrol retailer, you're going to switch. So mo most people will switch based on price if everything else is the same. Because mm. one of the things um, that me as a in book retail, for example, is that I know I can never emulate the, the value proposition, the experience of having somebody walk into a bookshop and the person in the bookshop can... Um, delight them by taking them to a book or an author um, that they never knew before and that that person goes away with book under arm and and spends 15 20 hours however long it takes to read it totally um, absorbed and 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 in such great you know great gratitude for that intro that they've they've possibly found a customer for life and they've the the consumer has found a a supplier and a knowledge expert for life. And, mm. and I, I know that that's the case, but um, it saddens me how many bookshops I go into. And whenever I see one, I will, I will walk into one, not only in Australia, but around the world and how the person is just sitting behind the counter and never comes up to me and asks me, Oh, can I help you at all? Is that, you know, how, what are you looking for? Or, um, and I just walk out of those stores, do a little fist pump and go, yeah, thank you. Um, because they just gifted me another, you know, another reason why they're not going to survive and, and why customers will migrate to Booktopia. So when you, when you think about stores and the future of stores and that aspect in terms of making sure that retail is adding value and that they're not on 
the millennials are not on their phones um, because they're addicted to their phones and not attending to customers. What What's your insights there? Well, my insight is that you've got to have the ability to change and that's what's lacking. So if you take the pandemic, for example, cafes, restaurants were one of the most highly affected sectors. Uh, they mainly rely on passing trade. And when there's no passing trade, you're in a bit of trouble. So one reaction is to, you know, get everybody on JobKeeper and um, just uh, go on life support for a while. But there were some great examples of little cafes and restaurants who innovated and had a great success. There was one here in Balmain where I'm speaking from today. It's a, 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 it's a, a vegan, gluten-free uh, bakery and coffee shop. It's called Nutty. Two branches, one in Surrey Hills, one in, um, one in Balmain. They've got a, an events business. They've got this bakery, which is a shop, and they've got a cafe. So the cafe in March last year, the cafe was closed because of COVID. The events business was gone. Uh, the bakery business was left. Um, so there were three-legged three -legged business, two legs were gone. But um, they, the Sunday before that restriction started, they put signs in the window with just their phone number. They didn't have a, a website. They just put their phone number on. Anything you need, we're here to help. Next day, they started taking text orders um, for celiacs particularly, they're pretty restricted in what they can eat, um, to get them food. And they opened their range up. They started cooking meals out of their kitchen, celiac meals out of their kitchen. Gradually, the website got built. They started getting more sophisticated in their online orders. They had a van. But they knew delivering food is a pretty complex matter. So especially if you use the big delivery companies. So they decided to deploy their van to predetermined locations. So using social media, they said, to, on Saturday, we'll be in Campbelltown at the Bunnings car park. Uh, place your orders, we'll deliver them then. They were getting 100 metre queues to their van. And they did this around Sydney all the way up to Canberra. They, but it was innovative thinking business. Most food businesses are really shy of innovation because you innovate, you make a few mistakes, and in food that tr translates to waste. So there's a cost to it. So most foodies don't really experiment much with menu items. These guys do it every week. They keep their chefs back, and they have nine chefs. They keep them back on a Wednesday night, they just are free to try things. The best new thing gets a prize um, and, um, and they put it on menu. And so they, they had this can-do baked in. Anyway, by November, when the restrictions started to ease, whereas many cafes and restaurants had closed shop and given up, their business, despite losing two legs of a three-legged stool, was up 20% on the previous year. So that's all about the innovation muscle. It's not about what you do, what the trend is. It's about being able to change and having the capacity to change. Yeah, and that's an, that's an inspiring story. Oh, my God. Um, um, it's, and you hear that all the time. So, I mean, in publishing, in, in the book industry, 
I, I have seen over 17 years how so many people see it, the world as flat. And it's very difficult sometimes to, to un, unhinge yourself and, and take a different view of the valley that you've looked over for so many years and it is the way it is. But if you, if you looked at it from the other side or the east or the west or the south rather than the north, oh, I didn't realize that it looked like this. And, and I, even for myself, I constantly am challenging myself, even though we've done so well for so many years, um, making sure that I am also not, you know, this is the way we've always done it. So this is the way it works. I've got, got to have an open, open ears to the team where they're coming up with um, initiatives that in the past I may not have considered. Only yesterday I, I had one of my uh, heads of, of a division coming in and, and saying something to me where I, I said, all right, let's test it. If you think that's going to work, go out there and test it. I'm Just because I don't think it's going to work, um, we shouldn't rely on that. Our customers deserve more than that. Were there any other like great little, because we, we learn and we listen and we hear a story like that, which inspires the rest of us to go, yeah, what, well, that's, that's brilliant thinking. That's incredible because not only did they just pivot to, to do something maybe in the Balmain and Surrey Hills area, they, they thought big, that, that's probably the biggest part of their business. Now the pandemic was a gift. Mm. Were there other stories that you saw maybe in the opposite direction where, where you could see things completely collapse for a variety of reasons or they had to go into hibernation because they just simply couldn't do anything during the pandemic? What, or what are, what are some of the other things that you've come across? Well, retailers are generally really good at going broke, Tony. So uh, we don't need to really dwell on that. But there's a casualty list longer than RPA of retailers who uh, just thought everything's going to be okay. All we need to do is cut costs, cut prices, increase the marketing, and it's a death spiral. Um, so retailers are really good at going broke. I don't need to go into that much more. But there are some, you know, I mentioned the story of a small business, but there are stories of big businesses too that, are, that I think were really uh, exceptional during the pandemic. And it was because they got this innovation thing happening going in. It's hard to really build a platform when you're in the middle of a crisis. You've got to have this innovation platform going in. Um, look, I think two of the most innovative retailers in Australia are McDonald's and Starbucks, both in the QSR space. Um, but it's no, it's no, um, no coincidence that Maccas were the first in with things like contactless, well, actually Starbucks were first with contactless delivery. Uh, Macca's, when it was hard to get your basic essentials, your, your bread and milk and that sort of thing, they put them in the drive-through and they did it really quickly. Um, so there are a couple of small examples from big companies, but overseas, it was the same. It was the companies that are the perpetual innovators that were first out of the blocks. Starbucks in the USA, Nike, um, of course, you mentioned earlier in your current format, you have trouble replicating the in-store bookshop experience. Um, be, well, Nike have, have grabbed the in-store 
sports experience in their Nike Town formats. We don't see it in Australia, but Nike Town is in the States, it's in Europe, it's in, it's in China, it's in most parts of the world, not here. But it's very experiential. They've got running tracks. They've got places in the store where you can build your own, own sneakers. You can paint them, customise them, customise your own T-shirts, um, throw a basketball, hoops. You know, it, it's they're very experiential stores, similar to a, the best bookshop you could imagine. Uh, so they relied on in-store experience, but they had um, some they have videos online for club members. So exercise videos, how to improve a certain part of your training. They decided to make those all free during the pandemic. And they increased their Nike club membership, you know, exponentially, but it turned straight into sales. So that experience that people couldn't get in store, they were happy to transfer it um, to online. And they were the only sports brand um, who announced their first half results last year. They were actually equal um, uh, as a brand. This is branded goods um, to the previous half. So they had the best results in the sports industry. So the big brands can do it too uh, if they've got that innovation uh, process happening in their business. Mm. Is it you? I'm just looking at one of the things I love to do through plugged and unplanned is is just kind of scour over the table of contents because there's a lot to be revealed when you do that. Um, and what one of the one of the chapters is why innovation is, is hard for retailers. Is it um, is it is it that hard or is it easy when when you like do you either have it as a as a you know as a skill set or as a as a certain type of mindset that you just you're just always thinking about other ways of doing things and for those that are very rigid will they ever be able to to change their thinking and and be able to move or is it just is it just too hard because of the risks uh, and 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 they just can't see a pathway from going from where they are to where they they need to be and for others it's it's a real easy much easier because they they just they just kind of think that way what what's your um observations well i think it's baked into the nature of the retail industry so the people that get on in a retail business are the ones that get the tickets out that in your case they get they get the stock out they get the promotions supported they make sure all the posters are up in the store the floors are clean all the customers that come in are greeted um they're the people that get on and they're people of executional mindset. So it's the executional mindset people that get on in a retail business and they get right to the top. And that's not necessarily the same person who can dream up the future. Uh, the second thing is um, retailers generally have a very short term planning horizon and that horizon's today. They're completely immersed in same day last year comparisons. If you're in a supermarket, it's same day, same hour last year comparisons. And that leads to a mindset of maximising the opportunity today. Now, I think that's actually valid because retail discretionary income is very, um, it, it moves between brands, it moves between categories at the whim of the customer. You've got to grab the fish in retail 
while they're they're running while the fish are running in the river um but again it's not the long-term planning horizon that you need to really pull off um pull off an innovation strategy so i think retailers have some baked in cultural characteristics that inhibit them a bit but the the golden bullet for retailers is that they thrive on process um, every retail business, whether it be online or whether it be physical or a blend of both, needs loads of process to ensure you can have high volume businesses generating hundreds of millions of dollars in sales revenue and only small operating margins uh, that they can operate. So process is essential and it's part of the DNA of retail too. So innovation into just another retail process retailers could excel at it. And there are a few retailers who do this. Some of the ones I've mentioned like Nike, Starbucks, McDonald's, Walmart is a, is a great example in the States, Target USA is a big example and so on, but they're uncommon. Not many retailers do that. What about some of the Aussie retailers that, you know, JB Hi-Fi or uh, Super Retail Group or West Farmers with Bunnings who did very well with in the pandemic. Is there, are there any Australian standouts as well or? people who are who are in you know perhaps playing at an inter, at an international level even though they might be local yeah well i think the best sector in australia is definitely qsr uh with mcdonald's and starbucks they're two of the best um now what am i going to say and choose my words carefully uh some of the internationals here are great um i think uh there's a big danger for australian retail this year uh, and the danger is something called hubris. We've just had the best retail year since records began. 10% comp store, sorry, not comp store, 10% sales increase across the board. And that includes the dips in cafes and restaurants. It includes the early dips in, in footwear and apparel um, and accessories. So it's been an absolute bumper year. It's to be fair, for the brands that you mentioned, it's been like shooting fish in a barrel for 12 months. And the danger is that the retail uh, companies in Australia um, pat each other on the back, um, run around to conferences and tell everybody how brilliant they were, when in fact, it was just uh, a fair wind. Mm. Uh, yeah, well, Jerry Harvey was already doing that um, in the first few weeks um, and he got hammered for his... Um is it's never been so good um and he because so many people were struggling and we were we were doing really well but we knew it was very bittersweet for us because others were not and i know in the collective you say that we're the everything was up and it was but um you're right it was uh, it, it came at the cost of some so t tell me then um shopping malls you know the west fields and the likes versus the village store um and that that you know village my my i grew up in lang cove and and lang cove is a great village environment they've got um department well they've got big supermarkets there but it's, it's got a lovely village feel when you go there um how's that starting to and do we have any is it too close to the pandemic yet to work out whether people have decided they don't want to be in a big shopping mall as much because of um in what we've just experienced in terms of the social distancing and so forth how, how is that playing out 
Yeah, well, I think there's a few issues in there, Tony. So um, the shopping centre thing, um, I think what one of the things the pandemic, pandemic did was cause consumers to reassess their shopping habits. Um, many of us just sleepwalk through our shopping um, habit. You know, it, we, we always went to the mall, we'll keep going to the mall until that behaviour is disrupted. Well, it's just been disrupted. Um, so I think a lot of people will be reassessing. I think the shopping centres are reassessing too, how they offer value. I think they've got great opportunities to get involved uh, as online hubs uh, for the, all their retailers in their centres, but also for the um, suppliers that supply their retailers. Um, and I'm, we're seeing a bit of this in the States now. So there's a number of malls that are doing what I just said, um, using their car parks uh, to have mini micro distribution centres. Uh, all the retailers in the uh, mall deliver the internet orders to the micro distribution centre. It gets sent out. This particular one I'm talking about now uh, uses Uber to deliver um, to the various uh, homes around the mall but adds the extra service of bringing the customer back to the mall if they want to do a click and collect, they want to do a return and so on. So I think uh, malls have a good chance to um, reinvent themselves over the next uh, period. Mm, that, that really resonates with me. I think one of the things being an entrepreneur is sometimes you hear of ideas or things and I've heard many of them and you go, oh, I don't know about that, but that one right there is about adding adding value it's gonna that's gonna make that's that's, that's gonna work i can i can tell that that's gonna work mm. um the, the 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 thing about retail i think it was kind of like what you were touching on before is that um pretty easy to set up a shop it's pretty easy to buy stock it's pretty mm. easy to to kind of make it look like you've got a business but um, it takes a while for that to then uh, for the big wheel to start turning and and you've you've kind of got yourself going and that's where malls have helped because they were the they were the anchor to drive foot traffic into that location which then the uh, the retailer could you know plonk their store in there and benefit from that is there much changing um around the way that people are going to kind of start a business if you if someone's listening to this and they're thinking of getting into retail retail's been it's been a very good year in retail just as you said um shooting you know shooting fish in a barrel so um but it still doesn't take away the that long time to to build that um that customer base which you do need on top of the the passing foot traffic it needs to be a, a blend of the two um what how, how do you see all of the new retail new new shops starting up if the, if if the market is the way it is it's is it do you have to be omni from the very beginning? You need to be thinking about um, a smaller footprint, location, further away from uh, the more expensive um, per dollar per square meter, which which is what um, shopping malls can be. How's that all playing out? So everything you mentioned, Tony, are facilitators. The, the big question is how are you going to win customers? How are you going to win customers from existing competition? Despite... Um, in most years, not last year, but in most years, retail is a zero-sum game. 
it, it usually grows with GDP. So say we're on 350 billion in retail sales, it'll be that times three and a half next year. You know, that, that's, that's what it'll be, 360 million or something like that. It's billion, I should say. So that's 3% growth in most years. That's not enough to build a business. Uh, you need to take share. So you've got to work out how you're going to do that. And how you're going to do that is to be innovative and do something better than the existing competition. That's why the likes of Aldi are growing. Uh, and, you know, we could mention other brands, Mecca in the cosmetic space. Uh, they're all growing because they're doing something better than the existing competition. I think that's where you start. Mm. Um, yes, you need to, I think, in most cases, you need to be omni. But look, Aldi aren't really very omni at all, are they? And they're, they're gaining great share. It depends on your target market. Um, so um, that's, the, that's the secret. Work out how you're going to get customers from the competition. So, you, you, you mentioned something earlier on, which I, because we've only got one store, I mean, and it's not even a store really. I mean, people do walk up to the front of the building and say, can I come in and buy books? Well, you know, we're a big warehouse with um, a million books and massive automation and no, you can't walk through i can't even i'm not allowed to walk through um to just pick books off a shelf it doesn't work it doesn't work that way but you said something earlier about process and it's interesting when you talk about some of the companies that we talk about i mean you talked about the little company um nutty with the nutty, yeah. Yeah, with a couple of stores but most of what you um of the good businesses they're actually kind of they've built a model that they can replicate. So, and when you've got one store and it's very, very good, do you need to actually, if you're going to succeed, do you actually need to be um, on a mission to go, well, I'll need many of these stores and I'll need to have systems and processes to employ people who can run that little model because it's not going to happen. Not only is it not going to happen for one business, well, it can, and you can have your own little store with your own specialties, but you're buying your ability to buy and get bigger discounts because you're buying much more volume is does it really only lend itself to um to becoming very very big so you get all the efficiencies and you get all of um that that kind of critical mass in the market that your name is known how's that how, because we don't have that you know we're online only so it's interesting for me when i and I've got very little appetite to actually have a store, you know, with people in it. It doesn't appeal to me at all. Um, so um, what, what's the, for those that are listening who are in, you know, physical retail or omni-retail, what, what's the, what's your assessment of um, a company's vision and future? Okay, well, it all depends on your ambition. If you're happy to have one store and make a really good living and serve the customers in, in, the footprint that you can serve really well out of that one location, be it online or physical, then good luck to you. Um, if you want to expand, expansion must give you economies of scale. It's one thing to serve the customer well and offer them value, but you have got to get a benefit from that too. Um, there's got to be economies of scale and expansion. And in most cases there is, as you mentioned, your buy prices will get better. Logistics will get better as you can, um, will get cheaper and more efficient and quicker. The more uh, distribution centers you can afford to uh, put on the ground. And that's essentially the Amazon story. Uh, they went 20 years without making a Zach, but they invested in systems 
which made them more efficient, it offered more value to the customer, and they invested in distribution centers, which made uh, distribution quicker for their customers. And now they're you know, quite profitable. Um, they're mainly profitable from the technology business, but their retail business is, is very profitable, actually. So um, for them, it was definitely uh, about scale. Will the market allow you 20 years to do that? Uh, you'd have to be very lucky and a very good storyteller to pull that off, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Amazon is definitely a tech company now. Um, in fact, I, um, I had uh, my wife and I were having some renovations done at our house and father and son team coming in to do you know, some of the work and, and uh, the young guy, 25 years old, the son, he goes, um, so, because he wanted to know about business, he's interested, um, the share market and so forth. And he goes, so who's your competitor? And I said, well, you know, there's really not anyone in online retail um, in, a, in Australia for books. He goes, yeah. And I said, other than Amazon. And he goes, oh, they sell books, do they? Now, for most of us who are old enough, we don't think of anything else other than that's where Amazon come from, from a young person. They don't make that connection because they see Amazon as a very different company. I found that I found that quite interesting. I'm going to ask you something else about retail. One of the things that I've been thinking about for a while, and I'm curious um, to hear your thoughts on this. One one of the the ways that I, I have felt that um, retail is really only going to survive is by having the manufacturers. So you mentioned Nike, but you Gucci and and in Cartier and whoever else, right? They're the ones that can afford to have these big, beautiful, amazingly appointed mega stores or, or city stores where people go to, but they don't care whether they sell it or not because they're the manufacturer. And here's the barcode, here's the code number, and you can buy it from us or you can go online and buy it from whoever you want. And um, that to me feels like how shopping in the city is going to be. And in, and those really expensive shopping locations is the only way is that the manufacturer can do it because they can afford these beautiful shop fittings and fit outs, millions of dollars, which we have here in the center of Sydney. How do you feel about showcase stores and, 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 and whether that's going to play a part or not? Yeah, well, they're fantastic. And uh, I think the paradigm for that is Apple. And again, if you go back 20 years, Apple was getting caned in the computer market, absolutely caned, because when you lined an Apple computer up against, a, well, not a Dell, but a, in those days, HP, IBM, Compaq, um, those other, the latter three brands were cheaper. They were easier to sell in the likes of a Harvey Norman or a Comp USA or a Best Buy. And so Apple got caned. The, the regular sales um, person on the floor could not sell Apple effectively. They decided to open those Apple stores, and I had a couple of friends who were working at Apple at the time, um, as education centres. They just didn't care if they didn't sell anything. It was about educating the people about the brand. And, uh, of course, they sold loads. Uh, as soon as they offered the consumer that uh, opportunity um, to learn about the brand and be immersed in the brand, um, it's been probably the biggest retail success story of the last 20 years, those Apple stores. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think they've got definitely got a part to play. But I think there's still a role for curation, you know, and it's what you do. Uh, you bring Wiley can't have their own uh, superstore, uh, you know, with an experience, experiential 
element, not enough in it. They need uh, aggregators like yourself who can curate a range. And I think that will, will always be the case in retail. There'll be a blend of uh, manufacturer brands retailing who want to control the experience, usually above a base level uh, of experience, um, and then um, then curators. There are examples at the bottom end, though, too, Tony. So in the UK, Primark is a runaway success, and everything is their own brand. Um, not a new idea. Marks & Spencer in the UK was always only their own brand, but they were mid-market. Uh, and in this country, Aldi runs 80% of their own brands and uh, keeps the price down is very successful. Mm. Kind of getting closer to the end of our time together. Um, there's a lot in your book. Um, and, and I'm sure for those that are listening who have got a personal investment interest um, in retail, they, they hopefully want to go and buy it published by Kogan Page and we're the distributor of Kogan Page in Australia. So we're very happy to be representing you here in this market in more than just a retailer, which is exciting. When you, when you think about what's in the book though and some of the things that we haven't covered, is there anything there that you wouldn't mind mentioning today? It's worth, uh, for those that are listening, um, any, any great insight? I don't want to give anything away on the book. You've got to buy the book. Um, uh, that's the key. Um, but anything you want to share with us while we're together? Well, the main message is that uh, you've got to be an innovator to succeed in retail. There's no choice. It's the only viable strategy. But you've also got to be a perpetual innovator. It's You can't stop. So we mentioned some of the dangers for Australian retailers this year. Um, one is hubris, but another is to go sleep on the couch. You know, geez, that, that was a tough year of innovation. There was a lot of innovation in Australian retail last year. Let's have a rest. You just can't do it because the world keeps changing. The world just keeps changing all the time. You've got to keep going. And the other thing is that it's the same in a crisis uh, as it is in regular times, except you've just got to take the bits of the process that uh, apply and use them in a shorthand manner. And it's the same for big business and it's the same for uh, same for small business. The world keeps changing. And as long as that uh, is the case, retailers need to keep innovating. Mm. And, and of course, the one thing that we all need to ponder, um, remember, is that retail is not going away. It's consumerism and the, the idea of people handing over money for product to for the necessities and then for the, the discretionary spend and then for whatever else they're, they're spending, the, the big dreams uh, when, when we get to travel again, of course, that'll all come back into play, traveling and buying overseas and for overseas people buying locally. So it's, it's really important, I think, for all of us to remember people will keep buying the products and in books in particular, because we've lived through 17 years of where, oh, it's the death of the physical book. Uh, Amazon's going to annihilate you. The, the bookstores are closing down. And none of that's happened because the product is very resilient. In fact, um, oddly enough, of course, with the IPO in uh, late uh, 2020, um, I had to do a lot of pitches and, and roadshows to you know, investors or fund managers who 
who get to see a lot of industries. And and the the one question they asked was, what about digital? Is digital going to annihilate? You know, how they how fast is that growing? And I said, well, you know, humor me out for a second. Um, let's do a global experiment where we ask everyone on the planet to stay at home, right? But they can still shop. They can buy buy online or um, if they're lucky to go into a store locally near them. Um, and when it came to books, where they could buy a book online, did they buy the digital version where they could be reading it within eight seconds or buy the physical version and be having it delivered within a few days or whatever it was going to take? They were buying the physical version. And I think for all industries to, to consider that for a second, how resilient is the actual product that, that consumers have used for centuries to, to entertain, to educate, to escape. Um, it's, it's, it's quite fascinating when you, when you think about that, given it's the same content, um, but they didn't do that. And so we do need to be constantly considering and, and thinking about what's going on. I mostly cheat. I like to go to North America and Europe and take a look over there and see what's going on over there because they're quite often ahead of, ahead of us um is there anything like what you you and i assume by putting this book together that you are looking globally is there anything that's kind of coming down the pipeline for australian retail that you're you mentioned before about the shopping malls and the and having that more of a of a um you know one-stop shop for for fulfillment as well as pickups and click and collect they're they're thinking about their the box that they exist in in a different way is there anything else um, that we can we can kind of consider that we're not doing here yet. Yeah, look, um, I think there are loads of things, Tony. The main thing is once customers see better value, they recognise it and they'll flock to it. So I think if I just take one example, um, and it would be last mile delivery. So last mile delivery has been the Achilles heel for Australian retailers in the last 12 months. In many cases, it was taking uh, Australia Post three weeks to get a good across town. You know, it was pretty bad. If somebody comes along and offers next day delivery, offers a prime service in Australia, um, uh, that whole market is completely disrupted. People will flock to that. Um, so I think that's one small example. Uh, yeah, we could we could go on for another hour on that on yeah. examples, but uh, I think that's one. I think that's the most obvious one. It's the, our last mile, uh, last mile delivery infrastructure is really ripe for competition. Like, often people talk about you've got to have free shipping if you're online. You must have free shipping. But Booktopia is going to spend this year twenty two million dollars with Australia Post. So it's not free. Right, it costs, and then you just load it in. People need to understand that you got to load it into the price of the product. Yeah. Right? There's nothing free about that. And even if you get to more and more fast last mile delivery, and and that being next day, and it's very fast, then you're throwing even more logistics and and infrastructure into giving that um, delivering that outcome. So, but so we what we do is we charge seven dollars ninety five for as many books as you want, and people load up their their shopping cart more so because they know that they can spread that over a number of books. So that works for us and has worked for our customer. But what, was there anything there in your research just around free shipping and that, that mindset there? Or Because I, I buy a lot of things online and quite often I'm paying for shipping, especially internationally. So it's not like um, 
we're not being you know, that, that that's not that's that's not the case all the time. Is, have you got any insights there? Well, it's the same old story in every part of retail, Tony. People trade off price and service. They always have done, and they always will. But if the new standard of service is uh, next day, they'll drop whatever service um, they were experiencing in the past to go to th- to go to the new level of services. I think it's like steps. Service get service standards get established in steps, and right now we've got a kind of two three day expectancy from Australian consumers. But it's not the case in other parts of the world. If you're in a metro area in the US or the UK, same day is your expectancy and you'll reject a supplier that can't do that. Um, so uh, that's my, my thinking on that. In Canada, um, Amazon hasn't done so well. I'm there, they're right next to the US, but it's not, it's not done great. And when Amazon was arriving in, to Australia, there was, I think it was a KPMG report um, um, that talked about that the three biggest cities in in Canada had a um, had a population density of I think it was a thousand people for every um, was it nine square kilometers I think they said something like that I forget it was some sort of population density which was which which was much more expanded uh, than um, I think it was one thousand for every three square kilometers in the major three cities. Toronto, Montreal, and Vancouver, I think it is, and and so that was very that was much more spread than in in North in the USA. In Australia, it was three times more sparse. So the cost of getting someone to drive to that location and drop it off, and if everyone's spread out further, is only going to add costs. So I'm 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 interested whether that can work really well in 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 the UK because everyone's really condensed in Europe and there's, you know, Benelux and all those countries, everything, everyone's really close together, but, um, but does it, does it um, fail or is it impossible to do that profitably when everyone is really spread out? So I'm, I'm, I haven't made a decision on that. I think there's, um, I think there's, um, I think there's um, the, that it, it may, it may not be as fast as that in Australia, probably in the cities, but um, we'll need to see how that really plays out. So, look, Gareth, thank you so much, and congratulations on the book. I know it was something that you'd um, planned to do, take time out to do. And um, is there anything from Andrew Smith, with your co-author, that and I can see in the uh, table of contents that you've kind of uh, written m- most of the first part of the book and. I can see that the latter parts were more from him. Is there anything from his side, his background? What is what is it, what has he brought to the to the pages? Well, he's a he's a retail process guy. He's an ops manager from retail, and a lot of what's in the book in terms of the details of the process, he did at Telstra. So when Telstra had an innovative period a few years ago, Andrew was running the stores, and he was then in charge of customer experience for the whole of Telstra. So he's very detailed. My bits at the front are more conceptual and I reappear at the end. Um, but Andrew is uh, very, and he just got, he just got uh, included, by the way, in the top 100 retail influencers in the, US, influencers in the USA. He's based in New York. 
Um, he's got a, a clubhouse session that runs every week. We're running projects um, internationally now uh, on the concepts in the book. So, uh, yeah, Andrew is very active. Mm. Wow. Well, that's, that's a nice mix of, of skills and experience. So Gareth, Jude and Andrew Smith, Retail Innovation Reframed, How to Transform Operations and Achieve Purpose-Led Growth and Resilience. Congrats, Gareth, and thanks for coming on the program, and we look forward to reading your book. Thanks, Tony. Good on you. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces, and more. Or, if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast, and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore, at booktopia.com.au.